All right, here we go. Rants with Justin and Joe. Joe. 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 we will get started. Um, welcome to the second episode of Rants with Justin and Joe. I'm one of your co-hosts, Justin, and the other one is Joe. And uh, what we're doing is every other week we will be having a special guest lectures or people coming in to talk with us. I guess not really a lecture. I guess they're coming in to talk to us. And this week we are very fortunate to have a man that really needs no introduction, <laughs> um, a Mr. Bobby Ross. Uh, so Bob Ross is one of our close friends and colleagues. If you don't know Bob Ross, all you have to do is go to any conference and whoever the speaker is, whether it's like Bill Heward or Fred Volkmore or Steve Wolf or whoever it is, they name, his, they name drop him more than any other person I've ever seen. So at the last conference that we put on, um, he was probably name dropped, what do you think, Joe, 10, 15 times? I feel like every presenter. Man. Yeah, every, every presenter was just talking about Bobby Ross, where we came up with a quote for him uh, that he is the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be, <laughs> like uh, my man right here, Bret Hart. So without further ado, Bob Ross, join us uh, for, uh, for Rants with Justin and Joe. You are muted. You're, you're muted, Bobby Ross. Mic. The only way this is going to work is if you're unmuted. There we go. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. And uh, and I'm really glad to be here today. This is, uh, well, ranting and raving with, with both of you is one of my favorite things to do. So I've been looking forward to this ever since you guys uh, first invited to me, invited me to, to do this. Um, and I don't know why at your conference everyone name dropped me. I, I have to say that I really appreciate it, but... Uh, it was, How much it was money easy. did you slip them in between? You no, know, I, I feel like the funny thing was I had had a conversation with Bill Heward uh, prior to that, nothing to do with name dropping me. We actually did um, uh, several uh, individuals suggested some things for Bill to name, to drop, not names, but just, can you work this into your talk, which he did magnificently. Um, but I did not expect the, the names that he was thrown out there and I uh, really appreciated it though. So let me just go over just uh, some of the uh, groundwork, the logistics here. So Joe will type this in, but what we are going to do is you can get your CEUs for today, obviously, by email me directly. I need your name, how uh, you want it spelled, your BCBA number, not someone else's number, your number. And then I'm going to give a code word to start and a code word to uh, end, and you need to email me that code word. The code word to start is Thor, Thor, T-H-O-R, like, um, like uh, the superhero. I will give you the one at the end. And just so you know, I do see who's here and not. So I can always go back and see who's here um, with us if you need your BCBA. So Joe will introduce the topic of the day and how today's is going to go because Bob is our first uh, guest uh, appearance. Yeah, it's exciting. 
So uh, I'm assuming everyone that's here knows the title, uh, but I, I think that what we came up with was This Week in Social Media, probably because we spend a lot of time on social media seeing different posts and getting worked up about it and texting or calling each other and complaining about it. Uh, so we felt let's take those, those conversations public. Uh, and before we get into any of it, I, I want to preface this, that it's not a slight against anyone that's posting anything online. It's not, not a slight against any individual person that posts something, uh, because like we're all behavior analysts. We know the organism's always right. So this is just an observation of behavior through its permanent product, which just happens to be online posts or posts on social media. And we were, what we're doing is each of us have kind of brought something that we saw on social media that the other two don't know about. And we're going to bring it out and uh, get everyone to analyze it, uh, talk about its ethical implications, and discuss potential pathways forward when you encounter something like that on social media. So, like, what do you do when you come across someone who posts something like this? So, I think I was nominated to, to go first. And Joe, what, what, what's going to be the audience members? Do they get a say in this or do afterwards? What, are we, what do we decide for that? Uh, well, the format is we typically go, uh, what, what did we say, 25 minutes, 20 minutes? Yep. Uh, and people can ask questions at any point in time using the Q&A or uh, the chat function. And then after that 20, 25 minutes, we're going to open it up to where we'll address some of those questions. Or if you want to ask a question live and join in on the conversation, I think we have the capabilities to do that as well. All right, Joe, you're the first one up, I guess, giving us a... All right, man, it was tough. There's so much stuff on social media. It's hard to pick just one thing to bring, because I think we could, we could talk for hours about some of this stuff. Uh, but I thought one that might get us going, given that I know the audience here and the panelists, uh, I have a wide variety of posts about social stories. And I think it's relevant given uh, there's been a recent uh, review of the literature and what makes evidence or evidence-based practices that I think will, will come into play here. But here's an example of one of the posts. Hi, does anyone have a good social story for keeping clothes on? All of my resources are on site and I have a few families that would benefit. Thanks in advance. Go ahead, so Bob. Do you want to go with so where do you want to go with that, Joe? The, you tell me. The, the response to someone who's asking a clinical question in a social media format, who doesn't know that individual, doesn't know the function of behavior, has done no assessment, and has really should not, should a behavioralist be commenting to that? Never mind the, the question of evidence for social stories, which I'm sure Justin and, and you and I would ha happily have a, a long discussion about the how is it that our field has not yet the research on, on that? But I think before I sort of rant a little bit here, I think it's important to make the statement again that you just made about the fact that people are asking those kinds of questions about clinical issues on social media is evidence that our field does not train our staff and the people getting a BCBA well enough. The idea that someone would not know enough to not to know that they shouldn't be asking that question. Uh, asking for resources about how to address a particular problem and who might have some reason, reasonable. Asking for a clinical answer to a clinical problem for a particular individual is really inappropriate. Um, but that person didn't know that, and that person genuinely is looking for help. And I think that we need to not attack the person looking for help 
and help them recognize that a there's some questions about individual clients that just this is not the format of forum for that um, and that you know that we haven't gotten that message across i mean i i see lots of people well-meaning senior clinicians trying to say hey this really isn't the place to asking that question and i also see senior well-meaning clinicians providing a clinical answer as if they know this individual and they know what to say and do to solve that problem. Um, both of those issues are scary. Yeah, um, I, and it's, yeah. But it's evidence of the sort of the lack of development of our field. We don't train people well enough. We don't mentor them well enough. We don't provide enough uh, initial training so that a new BCBA often is unprepared to face the clinical challenges and does it a reasonable thing, goes to a place and asks for help. Attacking them doesn't make a lot of sense, but helping them understand that's not an appropriate question on so many levels. Yeah, and I think the, the scary part is that when people are asking for these clinical uh, recommendations, uh, that we don't know who's the on the other side giving that recommendation. I mean, it could be a senior person, uh, you know, who's an expert in teaching social behavior, or it could be like someone pretending to be a BCBA. You don't know who is giving that recommendation. And so now we're turning to pretty much anyone for advice instead of seeking advice from people who we know or respect it or who are actually experts in that content area. I think it's, it is a pretty scary thing that we're so easily going to that. It's like, to me, it's like going to WebMD instead of listening to a doctor or going to your doctor if you have a problem. Except a cheaper WebMD. But there are people who think that WebMD is a curated, um, informative source. Um, yeah. I think your, your point is that that individual doesn't know that, say, Steve Foreman, you know, is uh, an expert in this particular topic area, so I will ask the question to him. Or, you know, Justin Leaf or Joe Shion is the person to whom you go to for those kinds of questions about whether it's social stories or some particular topic area. There are what are there, how many thousands of BCBAs now? 20, 30,000 and hundreds of thousands of RBTs. Uh, it just, I mean, the numbers are getting crazy. So it isn't like these people, you know, you go back 20 years ago where everyone was trained in, in one of the 11 schools that did behavior analysis. Everyone knew each other and knew who the names were and there was a limited set of people to go to. That's no longer true. And that's arguably a good thing for our field that the access to applied behavior analysis services has changed. It's better but access to high quality, um, that may not be better than it used to be. In fact, what may be the problem now is the proliferation of experts. Uh, I mean, basically no one gets their master's and gets a BCBA, considers themselves an expert now. And I've, got, I've told you the story about my favorite line from Stephanie Peterson at Western Michigan. Um, this is sort of the, the, the legend is she shakes their hand and says when they get their BCBA, Congratulations on achieving minimum competence in our field. Please do not mistake certification for expertise. It is not. If you work for the next 10, 15, 20 years under really skilled and competent people, you may develop expertise. You do not have it now. You are just learning. You have met minimum competence in our field. That's how the BACB defines it. But it's not how it's in practice perceived. It's perceived well, as you're a BCBA, you're an expert. And I don't think that's part that's completely people getting their BCBA's problem. I think they're thrust into a field where people are making them experts or they're put in a position where they have to be the expert. So I think there's some other things that are driving that as well. 
But I think probably the overarching theme to, to, to today is each of these are going to be a teaching opportunity uh, because I don't think a lot of people are getting a, a lot of training in how to handle situations like this or uh, specifically when people are asking for treatment recommendations in social media, let alone uh, that they're asking for a social story. So I think we need to take each one of these as a teaching opportunity and hopefully uh, through the discussion today, uh, people will get a, a good handle on how they might approach helping this person online learn as opposed to berating them or attacking them because you're going to miss that learning opportunity there. Uh, and I think it, given that there's a lot of people that are here, I recognize some names in here that provide supervision. I think we need to include how to approach these things in social media in supervision because I don't think a lot of people get training on this. I just think there's a, the, it, in general, there's a, a lack of high quality training for to develop high quality uh, behavior analysts out there. But I think one of the things that are absolutely missing is, so what do you do when you approach something like this on social media? When someone's either attacking behavior analysis on social media or when someone's asking for treatment recommendations on social media, there's just not a lot of training in how to approach those situations. Yeah, and I think that, that you, you hit two categories, which is how do you respond to that individual who's looking for help? I'm sure they get some help, training and mentorship. And how do you respond to the person who immediately attacks them for either asking the question um, or the way someone else has answered. And that, I mean, our field has a pretty bad reputation both inside our field and outside of our field for being kind of jerky to each other. I mean, mm -hmm. we tend to be harsher on behavior analysts with whom we agree dramatically on so many things. We disagree on a little piece and we can be pretty brutal to those people, sometimes worse than we are to people outside of our field. Mm -hmm. um, and I the guess internet is a troll wonderland. I mean, if you want to be mean, that's the place for you because mm -hmm. it is built for that. I mean, I guess I'm the jerk or the troll, I guess, <laughs> in this situation because I feel when I see this, it's about the field and the whole. And I know this is going to come up uh, backwards, but I really feel like I'm taking crazy pills when I see any of these interventions and they're constantly being recommended. And I think it's a bigger issue at this point. I mean, one, let, let's say your social story is about undressing. I think that's what it was, Joe. I yeah, I mean, there's a, uh, I had several quotes. Yeah, but, to but I just I'm sure if you could go on any of these social medias, that's already been addressed. So yeah. like, just Wearing do, a your, mask, do, do, your, do your search right. there. Um, I think there's a bigger issue that we as behavior analysts are asking for non-evidence-based treatments. And we as behavior analysts go and respond and provide those non-evidence-based treatments on social media. And then people try, I've seen this, try to tie themselves in knots um, to defend their use or non-use and then get like, don't like being, don't like being called out when they're, we're saying there's no evidence to them. And so I think there's an issue that just like, uh, just like anything that social media really allows you to say whatever you want and promote non-evidence-based treatment. So I guess I've taken the troll route or the, or the ass route um, where I will call people out and pretty much say there's no evidence to it. And my wife, who I believe is on uh, this, this talk right now, um, always says why. And the reason is I'm, I, it's like uh, politics, I believe. There's one camp, a Donald Trump camp, they're gonna always be Donald Trump supporters. There's a Joe Biden camp, they're always gonna be Joe Biden supporters. I'm going for the people in the middle and hopefully convincing them that they shouldn't do this intervention because I don't wanna waste the time for the kids. 
Look, I, I mean, I think not only that, we all have an ethical obligation to address these things when we see them. Like the, the, if you're a board certified behavior analyst, you are guided by the code of ethics to talk to people about this when it comes up. Like there's the reliance on scientific knowledge. You're required to do that. There's disseminating behavior analysis. That's 6.02 on the code. I got it pulled up just, just for when these things come up. Like you have to promote behavior analysis by making information about it available to the public through presentations, discussion, and other media. And I think that's where this falls. I think we all have an ethical obligation to take these opportunities as a teaching opportunity for the people that are posting these things online. But here's where the challenge is, which is for those of us who have read the research, who are familiar with the literature on social stories and the research on it, there isn't a question that that's not an evidence-based practice. None. For people who have not read the research, who school uh, work in public schools, whose whose um, system and, and, and special ed director are enamored of it and want them to do it, they're being pressured and told to do that. And so they're looking for one. They're not saying, I'm going to debate with my special ed director about the um, evidence base of that. I'm told I have to do this and the parent wants it. So rather than take the time to educate their constituency, their stakeholders about the evidence on that, uh, which they may or may not have read, they yeah. just go ahead and do that. And, and that's a problem we have because there are, there are places and, and areas where there's legitimate debate about what is the state of the evidence on some things. There are other areas where I don't think that that's debatable. Now, there are people maybe in this audience, I suspect not just knowing the list that's here, um, who might say, well, there's, there is some evidence for social stories. And it's just, you know, to me, like I hear that as, okay, that means you really haven't looked at the re research because there, there really isn't. Um, there's, th there's studies that have been published, but they're flawed and they're problematic. And they're, they're showing pretty clearly the explanation for the change in performance has nothing to do with the antecedent review of rules. That's not it. We know that, but not everyone does. And depending on where you got trained and what program you went through, you may have been taught that social stories are in fact an evidence-based practice. And you can actually refer to the national standards and see it as an emerging practice and use that as justification. Now that means we also have to get people current with the more recent research and literature on that, but that's a problem. So where there's debate on this, it becomes a, well, let's just agree to disagree, Justin, right? That's you know what I've seen people say, in, in fact, in comments to you, that you're being overly rigid or whatever. Like, no, actually, it's back to our facts, facts. Is there, is there truth? And there's a truthiness to social stories, but there's not an evidence base. Yeah, and, and I think with the evidence base, I think it's important for this one. And then I want to hear your, the one you came up with, Bob. Um, I think it's important to re realize, I think one, there's different, people have different definitions of what they're including as evidence base. But with the social stories in particular, they're not looking at research design and functional control and realizing that's really what makes or breaks a study. Uh, if, if you were showing improvements in the social behavior prior to intervention, and then you did any intervention, uh, social stories, it's not your social story that made the improvement. You can't say it. It could have been uh, a flying pig. It could have been a whatever it may be. You Maturation. Yeah, you have to, it's a confounding variable. And unfortunately with the social stories, uh, the research is littered with the majority of studies having uh, confounding variables.
Bob, yeah. what do you, which one did you bring and scour uh, social so, media? So I have this um, ongoing problem and it's a category problem. It's asking the question is, what is this intervention? And so for instance, uh, a recent one that was posted is someone put a bikini top, a bikini bottom, <laughs> a sign, and the sign said, you were just here. You are, uh, you are not hungry. Girl, bye. And the question was, what is this? And the correct answer is, it's a stimulus. Since you don't know how it functions, you have no data on how they, you, there's no other possible answer. And yet, there's a thousand answers about whether it's an MO, a CMOR, or a blah, 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 a, a whole bunch of different potentially things. Is this a this or a that? And the answer is, it's a stimulus. Every freaking time someone posts one of these things, the answer, the only answer that you can possibly have, unless you have data about how it functions, is that it's a stimulus. But somehow there's a billion experts having debates about what should be simple in our field. And we've got students of behavior analysis, you know, getting misinformation and getting 17 different conflicting versions of it because we don't know our science well enough to know when I, when I put something in front of you, what is it? It's a thing, it's a stimulus. How it functions, that's a different question. And that depends on what data you present in terms of uh, how it was used, what my behavior change is in those conditions versus other conditions. And all of the nuance that makes our field robust and important and effective is missing so that people think things like a, a, a car um, gas gauge when the light goes off, is it an FD? Is it an MO? Is it a blah, blah, blah? It's a stimulus. How it functions for you depends on a whole bunch of other variables. And what is missing is all of this information about analysis. And every single site involving teaching people our field is replete with the correct answer is. And it's wrong. I love how you brought yours and you answered it yourself. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna pour myself some more coffee. No. Uh, I think uh, I agree with one of the comments in, in the chat, like people are being taught to the test. I, I don't think that people have a thorough understanding of, of behavior anymore, um, or not, I, I would say a small minority of behavior analysts uh, have, a, have a really strong understanding of behavior and how behavior works. And I think a lot of, and that's, that's not saying anything against any of the people that are here. I don't know all of you, but I assume you're all great behavior analysts, otherwise you wouldn't be here. But I think it's another teaching opportunity. Uh, I think if I were to come across that, and I actually did see it, uh, I thought <laughs> I thought about bringing that one too. Uh, but I think it, it it's a uh, if I were to respond to it, I'd say exactly what you said. I don't know what it is other than right now it's just a stimulus. If you provided some more context, and I might provide some examples of context that would allow me to maybe figure out what's going on there, what's operating there, uh, to help help hopefully drive them to a point to where they understand the error in posting, well, what is this thing? Uh, other than just a stimulus, because we don't have enough information. I feel like that was how I felt about a lot of the questions on a test that I took to become certified in this field is, I don't have enough information to be able to answer that question. I need to know a lot more about the context to be able to say anything. Yeah, there's a comment from one of the um, uh, attendees and you know, it, it strikes me as this, this line that I always say is, someone will say to me, oh, so-and-so's a, a behavior analyst. And I say, yeah, but I'm assuming they're a, they're a BCBA. And I say, yeah, but are they a behavior analyst? Mm -hmm. Because I do not see them as the same thing. 
I see there are people who are taught some procedures and some labels and some, you know, some answers to questions that you really can't answer without more information. And they've learned to pass a test, but have they learned our science? And if there's anything that so the social media sort of scares me about is I feel like we have a ton of people out there that we have not done a particularly good job of teaching our science, but we've taught them to pass a test. And I'd like them, I'd like that test to be reflective of understanding of the science of applied behavior analysis and learning and human behavior, as opposed to the correct answer for this kind of question. Absolutely. Well, and I think that's why it causes some other problems that Justin tends to reply to on social media, uh, where we have to make sure that we're designing behavior change programs that are conceptually consistent with behavior analytic principles. And I think if you don't have a firm understanding in behavior analytic principles and how human behavior works and a strong understanding of our science, then how do you know if something's conceptually consistent or not? They might not know. And that's another opportunity to help teach the masses that don't have a conceptual understanding or a good conceptual understanding. But why are, why are so many people not getting that? I mean, the evidence is there on social media about the, all of these kinds of challenges and there's a range of them. You know, there was an advertisement for um, trauma sensitive yoga on one of the ABA websites, the ABA autism website. Like, how does, what the heck does that have to do with anything? And all the marketing stuff that shows up, but it, you know, and, and, and the fact that our field's growing, the fact that um, there are the number of websites and Facebook pages and people marketing stuff related to our field suggests growth in our field and that, you know, on some level is, is, is a good thing. But the problems of social media, dissemination of science, dissemination of information sharing is, is something that's get already biting us. I mean, we have now people on social media who are self-described victims of ABA, who've been subject to our methodologies and feel that we are abusive and, and, and done horrific things and, and suffer trauma as a function of having been exposed to ABA treatment. This goes to tell you of how just one of the aspects of potential problems we're going to have as a field as we continue to go down that path. Yeah, Absolutely. I'm going to take I'm going to take that comment a little different in a little different angle. Um, I must I must admit, whenever I see what what is this, I quickly pass through it because I don't care to waste my time with those uh, social media posts. I'd rather just find where I control people. Um, but uh, I, I do see a lot of times. This is not my one. I'll bring up my one in a minute. But I do see a lot of times that people will like say, oh, the ABA back in the 80s was so shitty or it was so bad or so abusive. And the way, and I think Bob, you and I and Joe, uh, and, and I think Julie Crittenden were here, where I was going back and forth in New York on, on a social media post uh, last October maybe, and was going on where they were saying how bad it was in the 80s and how how unethical treatment was. And it's just, and my question to them is, well, what do you think occurred? And they cannot give an answer. They just won't give an answer of what occurred. They have no clue of what was occurring. And they're just spouting off information that they're that they're that they don't know what's going on. I think that's a problem too, because then they're agreeing that we're bad, but have nothing to really back it up. And I don't know if you guys see it the same way or not, but it happens quite frequently. Yeah, Mary Jane Weiss and I um, fondly recollect the old days. Talk about back, 
back in the old days when we were first doing this work, it was a creative dynamic environment where smart people were teaching us about the science and we were applying it in, in really neat ways. We weren't slapping anybody, using aversives. We were teaching skills and using reinforcement and kids were making great progress. And the, the, you know, the outcomes that parents want from applied behavior analysis were being generated by small groups of, of clinicians in, in different places throughout the country that were doing this science and doing it well because they were well-trained in the basics. Um, they weren't beating anybody and they weren't spending their times doing extinction and, and aversives. They were teaching skills in creative uh, ways, using the science and establishing performances and, 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 and repertoires of behavior that didn't exist for kids. And I'm not ashamed of that. I don't feel bad. I don't like that's not the bad behavior. The bad behavior analysis is the rigid, inflexible, motoric, procedural stuff that is more prevalent now than it certainly was then. And so when people talk about how bad ABA was, I mean, they're referring to a couple of video clips uh, and really, quite frankly, exceptions to the rule and some of the early Lobos stuff that isn't what was being done. If you read Let Me Hear Your Voice by Catherine Maurice and you look at what uh, Bridget Taylor was doing, you, you don't hear a lot of mentions in there of aversive. She was teaching skills. She was reinforcing the kids. She was building repertoires. It's impressive and it's good stuff. Well, we don't, uh, we don't need to um, sit there and claim that we were really bad back then. There may have been individuals and programs that didn't do good stuff. The science is not bad, it never was. Um, there may be individuals like there's a program in Massachusetts that uses electric shock. You can condemn that, feel it's bad, but that isn't representative of what most behaviorals do. And well, so and lots of people can, media, yeah, I was going to say lots of people condemn that place without actually knowing a lot about it as well. So I think that that's a great example of, of what you're pointing out is, is uh, people just not knowing and then just jumping on. Um, like the like Justin's example about the person who was berating things happening in the 80s with with Lobos without any idea of what was going on in the 80s with Lobos. Yeah, it's it's just simply do your homework before you post things, right? Like you should know, you, you do your homework before you make an opinion. Like know know what's going on. Um. So my thing, I didn't do my homework in terms <laughs> of finding a particular thing, um, but. I want to talk about an issue I see with social media and some of these groups that form, and that is censorship and, and censorship occurring. So I was uh, with someone um, uh, who's here today who we were talking uh, over dinner, uh, and she got kicked out of one of the groups because she would disagree with what people were saying. And she did it in a very polite way, and she would disagree. Um, speaking to your social story one, Joe, uh, or people used to call it, or people have now called it social narratives. And I would also say that, you know, social narratives didn't have any evidence to support them or not strong evidence. And I remember a few months ago, I, we published a, a review on social narratives and I said, here's the information about it. I went to all the groups and said, here's a, a study that we did. If you're interested in learning about the research, come contact me. And it was shocking that some of the groups would refuse to post that out there, not even combating someone, just saying, here's information about social narratives. And then recently on one of the groups, I was told, well, you can't just uh, tell people that's not good or not to use that. You have to behaviorize it. 
and find a way to behaviorize it. And that gets me to thinking like, well, someone can make that argument like about facilitated communication, a rapid prompting method. How can we behaviorize it? And pretty much I was told if I don't, if I continue, I was going to be kicked out of the group. So I want to know what your thoughts are on censorship occurring and really then that the administrators or moderators can kind of get what they want in there and put what they don't like in there in the name of ABA. That's a huge problem, Justin. I mean, that in comedy, they call it the cancel culture, right? You say something that is controversial or people don't like, and then all of a sudden you have to be canceled. You're, if you have a sitcom, it has to be over. If you, if you, you know, do stand up, no one should go there anymore and places shouldn't book you. And the, the idea that ideas are problematic. Now, how ideas are communicated, totally fine. If, if they want to argue with you and suggest that if you're going to present this stuff and comment, we'd like you to adhere to a following set of guidelines so that we have civil discourse, totally fine. But to say, um, we don't like your opinion. So that, that opinion, but which by the way is a data-based, fact-based and empirically supported opinion shouldn't be presented in a science format forum is frightening. Um, but that's, I think- and I do wanna say it's just not me, it's uh, others yeah. that have relayed the same kind of story who come off much less aggressive. Oh yeah, I, you know, I, I, because I'm on the board of Mass Hubble, but I'm also on, as part of that, I have a role with the school-based BCBAs uh, group. And in that group, questions like, does anyone have a social story for wearing, you know, a face mask or for stay at home stuff related to the, the COVID-19 crisis? And several people immediately started giving their versions of it, examples, and someone jumped in and said, hey, are you familiar with the work of Justin? And, you know, maybe you should read some of this stuff. And several people like, oh, okay, I wasn't aware of that. That's nice. Other people like, oh, he just hates social stories. No, I hate bad wine. I, I just want to use evidence-based procedure. Yeah. yeah. And, and that was like, but the good news, what came out of that was the discussion within that group of maybe we should invite Justin, have a conversation, have an opportunity for people to hear different perspectives and talk about that. Because that's what we do in science. Science is, well, first of all, ABA is a science and therefore progressive, but we actually get information and facts and make decisions based on those. We don't say, I don't like what you're saying, so I don't need to hear from you anymore. I think it's it's tough because people are in charge of those pages and it's they, they get to make the rules. So I think we're going to see this kind of stuff happen. And I think what's tough for me is it makes me want to leave the groups. But then every time one of us leave the group or when someone who's hoping to help disseminate and, and inform and educate leaves those groups, it's one less person in the group that's helping to promote these things. And again, we have an ethical obligation to disseminate and promote behavior analysis. So I think even if they're censoring public posts, maybe reach out to the person who posts it with a private message because uh, they can't censor that. Uh, they could kick, potentially kick you out of the group if that person complains or something like that. Uh, but I think the information is necessary and needs to be shared uh, in a in an educational way, helping to inform the person who is posting this stuff. But if moderators are going to shut it down, there's very little that we can do in that type of a situation, uh, yeah. other than potentially reach out to the person yeah. individually. And I think the sad part for me is that, unfortunately, this is the training that many receive now, or this is a, a training modality that many receive. And it's so different than the way that behavior analysts have grown up in the field, 
throughout the history, whether it's through the peer review process or in academic settings or in clinical settings, where you can bring something and bring a different opinion and have discussion about those opinions. My concern is if it's just going to be all one opinion, it's just going to be everyone has to say the same thing and you can't have civil discourse of, over it or talk about it in certain ways, that people are, people are not going to hear the other side and people aren't going to know the two sides of an argument or what to do or what not to do. And that's going to be really problematic as more and more people turn towards social media. Lauren had posted in the comments a section about um, the sort of mentor relationship that people had years ago and that this rapid growth in our field. I mean, we've had, you know, 300 or three, 400 um, BCBA preparation programs in the world. When there were 11, all of the, the best and most skilled and, and quite frankly, fairly experienced um, both practitioners and, and uh, researchers were those people training people. And a big part of that educational process was um, debate and discussion and hearing facts with which you might disagree and how you handle that and what you do in response to that. Um, now it's about getting the, the, the certificate as quick as possible. And that part of the training is not present in every preparatory program. And that's part of the reason we're in this boat is, is yeah. that we as a field have to figure out a better way for training and supporting the development of behavior analysts, not being mad that they don't come to their practice with skills. We're gonna say our model of training them is, is not as good as we need it to be. And how do we fix that? Because if we don't fix that, the problem is not going to get smaller. It's going to get larger. I've heard the phrase, a, a, a bad copy of a bad copy of a bad copy. By the time you get to the sixth or seventh bad copy, it doesn't recognize the original in any way, shape, or form. And I think to some degree, we have a bit of that in our field. I think there was an old movie about that, Multiplicity, where he kept replicating himself, and they got dumber and dumber as, as he was I think that's the movie. I don't know. But yeah, it was I, with, uh, what's his name? Uh, Michael Keaton, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Batman. Yeah. Uh, look, <laughs> I, and to, to Lauren's point about how do, how do we go and improve these skill sets of people that are already certified, I don't think we can save everyone. Uh, I'll typically the Tigger, but I'll be the Eeyore in this one. I don't think we can save everyone. I don't think everyone has the reinforcers in the right place that want to develop their skill sets. I don't think, and unfortunately, I think there's lots of contingencies in our field that make it to where they don't have to. They can go and get a, a triple figure or a six figure job anywhere uh, being just a, a right out of school with their certification. So those are the people that we're probably not going to be able to save if, if that's their main motivator. But I think if we can grab on to as many people as we can and help develop their skill sets when they show interest in developing their skill sets or help develop their interest in developing their skill sets, uh, then that person can do the same thing for another person. We can flip the multiplicity on its head uh, to where we have high quality people developing high quality people as opposed to the other end that's typically happening. Well, to me, it, it always comes down to if you adopt a behavioral worldview, you are salvageable. If you yeah. reject that worldview, you you can't you, you then you are comfortable with not evidence-based practices and you are comfortable with doing things inconsistent with um you know our our field and our practice it was uh, i wish i could find the example but it was uh well let's take the trauma to sen trauma sensitive yoga or the behavioral chef like we start there's applying our science in other fields and then there's abandoning our science and doing things that you find interesting and we need people who say 
gosh, the idea of um, on an ABA website, I can take a course in um, the mind-body connection when theoretically our field rejects the idea of the hypothetical entity of a mind as something that even exists. So how do you reconcile those kinds of things appearing in our field and in ABA training websites? So I'm gonna go, there's a couple questions here and I like to now put it to the audience to, so they have some uh, part with it. Uh, I'll go to the, there's a question, there's two questions that I see. Um, one is Dr. Ross, and then I think all of us can answer answer it after, after Bobby gets his uh, chance at this. Um, who do you consider to be the top mentors in our field and how do we connect to them? Um, when you say that phrase, the, the top mentors in our field, um, I literally could think of dozens and dozens of people and it really often comes down to is in what area? You know, if I want to talk to someone who um, has expertise in verbal behavior, if I want to talk to someone who has expertise in mentoring and supervision, if I want to talk to someone who has expertise in self-injurious behavior, they're not the same people. Um, and I've been, I mean, I'm lucky enough to be old and still alive. Um, but for instance, I, I don't know if she's on, um, Missy Olive was, uh, I, I spoke with her earlier. I think she was going to be on, but she um, has a lot of training expertise in feeding issues. If I have a question related to feeding issues, I'm, I'm probably going to run something by Missy Olive. Um, if I have a question about uh, supervision, training, um, just general practice stuff, Mary Jane Weiss and I have had a, a, an ongoing conversation probably for the last 30 years. And I, I talk to her periodically. We check in. But if I have a, uh, a sticky situation with a, a student or a, a learner, a, a supervisee, and I'm thinking I want to do something, but I'm just, uh, I, I want to run it by someone else, I'm going to talk with her. Um, there are just people with whom, so if I have a, a question related to social skills, I say, what did Justin and Joe think about this? Actually, if I have a question about research, I might go right to Joe. Um, there are uh, lots of people, and there are also practitioners with whom I've been working for years, that I know when it comes to a clinical training question, that that's the go-to person. There is not one go-to person. Our job is to be aware of who in the research literature is knowledgeable in that topic area. Then there are, with the exception of maybe Brian Iwata, and I feel bad saying it that way, but there aren't too many people who are unapproachable, who if you ask a question won't say, hey, let's have a conversation about that. You can go to Greg Hanley when you're concerned about aggression and self-injurious behavior and email him a question, and you're likely to get a response from him. If you talk to him at a conference, he'll probably sit down and spend 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes um, and follow up with you. Uh, uh, the senior clinical people in our field are amazingly generous with their time for people who ask a legitimate question, who want help, they'll either provide it or, or provide resources. So don't assume there's someone who's the expert on everything. I've worked for, like I said, a long time, but I've worked long enough to know that someone else's opinion who's been doing that long enough is either going to jive with mine, tell me something I didn't think of, question me on something and provide an insight. And there's never any harm. In fact, there's usually harm if you fail to do that. But sometimes, like Mary Jane and I have this IOA issue. We always, we have pretty good IOA. When I, I was thinking about this, but I wasn't sure. It's like, that's what I would do too. And if I said, you know, and she brings something to me and my first thought is often pretty connected to that. It helps to have someone who you know. I think one of the travesties of 
the certification process is it's you need a supervisor and a mentor to get your BCBA, not you need to make sure that once you have it, you are connected to several people who are experienced and thoughtful and will spend the time to help develop you in your career for the rest of your career. Our field needs more of that. Um, that, that someone's uh, Lydia Jennings said, we need a top mentors to start an ABA master class. I'm not sure that a lecture class is really the right format for that. I think the right format for that is the conversations um, and, and not only is it a, the right format, but I think it's a highly preferred, the conversations that happen at the bar at ABAI um, after a conference where people connect, develop relationships, and as a result of that, go see each other's programs, have an ongoing relationship, um, become familiar with each other's research, collaborate together on projects, and get better as a function of those relationships. This isn't an individualistic field, and there's too much to know. Yeah, I think, I think maybe the master class, though, in these times would be a Zoom meeting like this, right? Yeah. Where like a small group of people can come and have talks with uh, Greg Hanley or have talks with uh, you, Bob, or Mary Jane, or whoever it might be. I think we could probably create something like that if, if we wanted to as a community. Yeah, because it's those formats where you learn how to think like a behavior analyst as opposed to get the answer to the problem. What kind of analysis and information do you need in order to figure out what to do in that context? That's the thing that to me is far more valuable than, well, does um, repetitive mo uh, motor behavior, so do word. Well, that isn't an answer to that problem. What do they do? When do they do it? Where do they do it? Do we have a, do we have a sense of what functions is reinforced? There's a lot of questions to ask and answer, but there's a thought process to analysis that I was taught. Um, that I think that is really critical for practitioners to how does a behavioralist think about a problem? What are the variables they look at? What are the questions? You know, what is the adaptive behavior they look for and how that was taught? How to think about a learning and behavior problem is something that I was lucky enough to have mentors that, that didn't want me to you know, do extinction and, and, and provide some consequence to the problem. They said, what skill doesn't this kid have that you need to teach that would solve this problem? That's a whole different set of questions and a different set of procedures. That's the kind of stuff that I think is missing from training programs now because when you're busy focusing on, can you answer this question about this taskless item, you don't learn how to think. Well, and I think that goes to the question about what would we change about supervision to start seeing some of these changes happen. Uh, and I think the masterclass idea is, is wonderful in terms of that. And I learn more at bar talk at conferences than I do in lots of the talks as well. So you, that you was kind of the, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's kind of the idea around this, what we're doing here is let's get a small group of people together and let's have a conversation like we typically would at conferences at the bar. And hopefully that knowledge can then spread to everyone else. Uh, and I think the question, there was another question about, do we do this top down or bottom up? Uh, those aren't mutually exclusive. We can do it top down and bottom up. Uh, so I, I, and I think that's probably the best approach that we're going to see the most amount of change faster by doing both of those things. But yeah. I think there's a lot of different things we could probably change about supervision that would help. Yeah. I, I, if I could just jump in, there's a great, um, Fernando Amandaris is on the line, the hammer. Is a guy I met at a bar at ABAI. Um, he knew Skinner back in the day. He's been a practicing clinician for 
40 years, maybe, you know, I don't want to give away Fernando's age, but he is someone that is a resource. People don't know he's an effective teacher and has been an effective teacher and a practical guy for all his career. He's a resource that most people don't know about, and you will learn more having a conversation with, with Fernando in an hour than you will learn, um, you know, in many ABA programs in a semester. I do want to say with, with the, tr the training of young BCBAs or RBTs or BCABAs, the, the pet peeve I get when I get uh, someone who's, I'm trying to do supervision is they ask me, well, will I get my hours? When will my hours be done? And it's just like, I don't care about your hours. Like, I just don't. I don't care if you get 1500 hours. I don't care if you get the 40 hours. I don't really take RBTs, even though I think Joe and I have trained more RBTs in the world than anyone to this point. Um, but I, because it's not ours, it's like, you need to need to learn things. And of course you're gonna get the hours if you come work with us, but I'm worried about teaching you shaping today, or I'm worried about teaching you uh, language programming, or I'm worried about teaching you discrete trial teaching or research methodology. And so I think what we have to do is stop at, at, from the bottom up, stop worrying about the hour requirement, make sure you document, make sure they get their hours, but don't worry about that. That's not your driving force. Your driving force should be that you're teaching the concepts really well and then realizing that that task list is the absolute minimum requirement um, and that you should be teaching above that task list and that the BACB or whatever the certifying organization is sets a bar and we need to go above that bar. And, and that's how we go from bottom up and top down. I think we need to start you know, saying we need better standards and working with those organizations to change those standards. I think, as Joe said, it's a, it could be a two-way street. Yeah, I, I think, think we have time that, for that, one that more bar question. Piece. I, that bar piece, because I think to me, it's such a critical, critical piece that we say, hours are not the issue. You have to be competent in the knowledge and performance of those things. Our beacon contracts for supervisees, our, our trainees now, um, specify that you don't get a signature at, at hours. You get a signature when the the supervisor, mentor, trainer determines you've met the knowledge and performance competencies, period. Hours are not, not, not the relevant variable. You have to have them, document them, yes. But if it takes you 4,000 hours to do that, 2,000 hours to do that, or 1,500 hours to do that, it's doing that that gets you a signature, not hours. Joe, do we have time for one more question? We're at, we have nine minutes left. So, yeah, we could probably get one more in. There is one more. I saw a question that I think was more of a um, a bomb. Well, here's one in the Q and A. Uh, <laughs> given the global pandemic, do you think that we should learn more about ACT and incorporate it into our practice and supervision of other BCBAs? Well, that that that's that's. We're it's almost like it was a planted question. And oh, it totally, it totally was. It totally was. Yo, was that you? It was not me. It was not me. So there's this. I would suggest it was Liz. Doing it, but that, we're not going to answer that today because our next rants with Justin and Joe in two weeks' time will be about ACT. And Joe, the title of that is. Um, oh man, you're calling it. I think we we called it distraction or actual behavior analysis. So distract. ACT, distraction, or actual behavior analysis. So we've seen ACT on the rise, and I'm sure 
Bob has been at conferences and Joe and I have been at conferences where ACT is going on and it's being highly promoted and uh, talked about and published. And Joe and I will give everything, our opinions, our rants, which are also just opinions and suggestions about ACT in two weeks time. So I know that doesn't answer today, but it leaves you a cliffhanger to come on back. That's a great cliffhanger. I, I will be cliffhanger. attending the attendee section and happy to, uh, to rant and rape as well. <laughs> So we will be in two weeks addressing that and talking all about ACT. I don't hope that was not planned by you, Joe. It wasn't. Uh, I, I was very surprised by the question. So well, there's, a, there's a person in the audience who knows my, um, quite frankly, disdain for the fact that it's not behavior analysis. Um, so to, I'm sure I put that out there for that very reason. So I will, yeah, we'll see. Hopefully the 22 of you guys, you guys get, are the first ones to know. We'll probably be posting it on Eventbrite on Fridays, my guess. Um, so you guys just look forward to that. And if you guys want to come and listen to us talk about ACT, we're more than glad to do it. Well, thank you very much for inviting me, both of you. I really, uh, it's been a pleasure to, to join you and rant and rave a little bit about social media. Yeah, you know, you're, you're, you're our first guest uh, appearance. We really liked it. Oh, I, I'm honored. Thank you so much. Set a high bar. Yeah, thank you for uh, leaving the beach and coming up to your villa and uh, <laughs> talking to us today. You know, Italy is a tough place to be right now. <laughs> so, um, I guess that, yeah, that's his appropriate time. So, the closing word that you need to email me, remember, Joe, can you put my email address once again in there? Absolutely. Uh, you need to email me your name, your BCBA number and the word hook, H-U-L-K, hook. And what I will do is on Friday, I will sit down at some point and create the certificates and I email you guys directly the certificates. If I don't get you your email by Friday, then I don't give you your certificate. So everybody, we thank the 22 people for coming today. We thank those of you that uh, donated. That's really much appreciated. That gives us opportunities to do other things like free RBT trainings and a free eight hour supervision course that we're working on and other free goodies to the field. Um, and as always, I guess the, the curse of social media is if you like what you heard, please uh, uh, review us on Facebook, right, Joe? Yeah, yeah. If you Wait. don't like us, I guess review us as well. <laughs> Uh, we will not censor you. you and yes you can donate even after the rant uh using the same link the donations don't go to joe's salary or my salary and bob ross gets nothing to appear just the time to spend with us it really goes exactly. to helping but the field enough for for me. Autism. <laughs> so everybody thank you guys for your time thanks for coming to the second episodes of rants with justin and joe and Bob. Thank you. Thank you, guys. <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully we'll see some of these same names in, in two weeks when we talk about ACT. I suspect I will be there. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Right. See you, everyone. Bye. Have a great Bye. week. Bye. Thanks.